Hey, this is Kevin Weatherby at Save the Cowboy. I want you to tow that stirrup, throw a leg over the candle, take a deep seat, and pull your hat down tight. I ain't gonna tolerate no whining or griping, so let's all strike a long trot down that narrow trail and learn how to ride with God. Come on! What you waiting on? Let's go. Ty is a, you know, you, you hear Ty talking about us working a lot together and everything like that. And, you know, one of the things I appreciate, appreciate about him so much and what makes him a special part to me is that he can distinguish between our friendship and, you know, I, we can be friends. And, and he's kind of a mentor to me, cowboying, mainly because he's, you know, 20 years older than I am. But I mean, still, um, he, he's a, he's a mentor to me, cowboying. And, and I can put myself underneath, you know, him and listen to him. But when it comes to being a pastor, he can do the same thing. And that's a special relationship right there. But I promise you, if you think that Ty is easy on me because I'm a preacher, you're dumb. Okay? You're dumb. And I mean, we were, we were out there. It was me and Ty and Jared and, uh, everything. And, and I got, I got this critter rope. This is before the, the incident that he talked about. But I had been having this problem for a while, and I actually thought Ty was making it up. Because I never remember doing this. But every time I would rope something, and I've told you all about this, whenever you're out in the pasture and you've got them rodeared, man, this is so much different than... uh than roping in an arena like team roping or anything like that. And one of the main things that I have never really done before, not not to this extreme, is when you rope one, this is a 60-foot rope right here. And I brought it. That's a lot of rope to handle. And when you rope something with a 15-foot loop, you got a lot of slack. And so the last thing that you really want is a critter 50 feet away whirling around you with 300 other critters around you just getting wrecked. So the first thing you do when you neck one of these is you got to get short. And I even had a whole sermon on getting short. But what happens is I would rope something and then Ty would be coaching me and I appreciate that. I want him to do it. Jared helps and we, we all help each other. And so I'm sitting there and he's like, Coil up, get short, get short. And I'm going, and then when the critter starts to run away, you go to Dally, and the first thing Dad Gum Ty kept telling me was, Don't look down! I'm like, I'm not. I don't have to look down to Dally. I've been dallying my whole life. If I wasn't tied on, I don't have to look down to Dally. And I was like, What's he talking about? And I was like, well, maybe maybe he just thought I looked down or something like that. But it kept happening, and it kept happening, and it kept happening. And, you know, I, I was starting to get frustrated, not with Ty, but just with myself, you know, because I didn't think that I was looking down. And finally, this one day, I did. I reached out there and roped one. I'm going to get short. I'm going to get short. I'm going to get short. Critter starts to take off. And I caught myself right when Ty said it. I did. I looked right down at the horn and went to the horn. Now, there is one thing, and I'm not making excuses. I've always used rubber on my horn. You know, one time and you basically got it. But when it's mule hide and it's slick, you got to stack some dallies on there and everything. I thought, well, maybe that's it. And so that afternoon, me and Ty, we went to Monument to check some more cows. And I was talking to him about it. And I was like, Ty, I, I just don't know what is happening. I said, because I've never, I mean, I can sit there. And he's like, well, you know, just keep practicing. So I, you know, when we went to Monument, I grabbed my saddle strings. And I wasn't even looking. We were just visiting and everything. And I just kept dialing with those saddle strings and everything like that. I could do it with my eyes closed. But why was I doing it? Well, when you look down, it can get you in a wreck. 
Because anytime you take your eyes off of that critter, man, when you take your eyes off of and look, man, you don't know where your rope is anymore. I mean, you're focused on the wrong thing at the wrong time. He wasn't telling me that because, you know, boy, it's, you gotta be a pudo cowboy to dally without. It had nothing to do with that. It has to do with safety. Keeping yourself and your partners, keeping them safe, keeping the stock safe, keeping your horse safe. Your horse may be the power, but, you know, you're supposed to be the one, you know, guiding it and everything. It can just get you in a wreck. Don't look down. He kept telling me that time after time after time. But there is something else that we can do. That we as Christians are making a mistake. Now, I'm going to drop a bombshell on everything that you have been taught and everything that I thought about something up until last week. I'm going to blow your minds. I'm going to ask that you listen to the Holy Spirit with what I'm fixing to say because I guarantee you when I say it, you're going to be like, "Uh uh-uh, that ain't right. But I'm going to use the Bible to prove what I'm saying. There's another thing that can get you hurt. Let's look at it in Luke 13, verse 5. The second part of Luke 13, verse 5, and we're not going to go into why Jesus is saying this, but the fact that he does say in Luke 13, verse 5, he says, but unless you you repent, you too will all perish. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. What is repent? I mean, the, the, if, if I looked it up, and I looked it up in this Bible, love this Bible, I looked it up, and it says this right here. So Jesus is saying, but unless you repent, you too will perish. So we better know what repent means. Should we not? Here it is. In the back of my Bible, this is the definition. To experience sorrow for and to seek to change wrong behavior. And and that's what we've all been taught, to repent of something, to turn your back on sin and, and no longer do it anymore and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And I mean, you want to talk about tough? That is full tough to repent because any, I mean, do you have any unrepentant sin in your life? Because Jesus said, unless you repent, you too will perish. In Luke chapter 15, you can just come over like two pages, two or three pages, unless you get one of those giant print, and then it may be 14 pages, I don't know. There are three parables that Jesus gives on repentance. Luke chapter 15 is entirely about repentance. The very first parable on repentance that Jesus gives is the parable of the lost sheep. Then Jesus told his disciples, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Got it? That's number one. Number two, Jesus tells the parable of the lost coin in verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. Over And, and I want to say something real quick. That verse right there where it says there will be rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. Does it say that the angels are rejoicing? No. It says, in the same way I tell you that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. So who's in heaven? The angels and who? God. So if there is rejoicing in the presence of the angel, who is rejoicing? God. 
I just thought that was cool. And then after that, so he tells the parable of the lost sheep. Then he tells the parable of the lost coin. And then the third parable, if you've never heard those two, you've probably heard the third one. It's the parable of the prodigal son, who is one of the, is one of the most greatest illustrations of the kingdom of God. Now, it's a little bit longer, so I'm just going to kind of paraphrase it. If you want to read along, you can. But basically, this this father, a wealthy father, has two sons. The youngest one says, hey man, I don't want to wait till you die. Give me my part of the inheritance right now. The guy says, okay. A little while after he gets his inheritance, he says, man, I'm going to vomit us out of here, man. This is boring. And so he goes to another country and, you know, it says he set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Do I really need to go into an exegetical explanation of what it means to go off into a distant country and squander your wealth in wild living? Man, use your imagination, and that's probably what happened. Okay? So anyway, he squanders. He blows all of his wealth. He finds himself poor. He finds himself at a pig farm, which in Jewish times, that was horrible. I mean, he's taking care of unclean animals, and the pigs are eating better than he does. And finally, he realizes his mistake, and he turns around, and he's like, you know what, man, I'm going to go back home. So he heads home, and as he's coming home, his daddy is watching for him as he has been every single day. His daddy sees him and doesn't wait for him to get there like this. His daddy doesn't do that. His daddy runs out there and meets him. And the first thing he says is, throw a robe around him, put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet, and butcher the fattened calf for my lost son, who, or my son who was dead is now alive and has come home. Man, three parables on repentance. It is that important. An entire chapter of God's Word is set up on repentance. Jesus said in 13.5, but unless you repent, you too will perish. So repentance is impotent, okay? It is vitally important. Have you repented of all your sins? Are you sure? Have you repented of all of your sins? Every single one of them. Are you sure? You will perish if you have it. God's Word says that. Have you repented of all your sins? And you know what? I've got three words for you. Don't look down. Because you're making a mistake already. You don't even realize it, and you're making a mistake. Let's go back to the lost sheep. What did that lost sheep... It's a parable of repentance. What did that lost sheep do to repent? Because Jesus says, in the same way, I tell you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. What did that sheep do to repent? Did it go, well, you know what, I better feel sorry for all of my sins. I better ask forgiveness of all my sins. And then whenever I get them all straightened out and my behavior is changed, then I can go back. Is that what it says here? No. What did that sheep do to repent? I can only see one thing that that sheep did, and it's in verse uh, 5. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. That sheep allowed Jesus to pick him up and carry him home. What did that sheep do to repent? In the classic definition, the definition of repentance according to the back of the Bible, not God's Word, in the back of the Bible says to experience sorrow for and to seek change in wrong behavior. What did that sheep do to change its behavior? Nothing. What about the lost coin? It says in the same deal. It says, in the same way, I tell you that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Tell me, what did that coin do to repent? He didn't do nothing except be found, right? What did the son do 
to repent. He just came home, did he not? Did he miraculously quit doing all of those bad things? Or did they all just come home? They came home. So, let me show you what I did wrong. Versus my roping in Texas. Whenever I roped in Texas, we never got short. We only had a 30-foot rope and usually down at the end of it. So whenever you roped or team roped, you didn't get short. You threw it out there, you grabbed it, and you dallied, right? Well, whenever you get short, see, I've been always taught, or I figured it out myself. I don't know when I learned to coil a rope. I've been coiling ropes since I was this big. But when I would, I would coil it like this. And there's a big difference. Because if you see the way my hand is with my palm up, you can't dally like that. So what I was doing wrong is whenever I would throw my rope, I had my hand like this, but in order to dally, I would have to turn my hand over. And that's what I was doing. I was looking down with my hand because my hand was in the wrong place. That little mistake was what was causing me all of my problems. And I was sitting there and I was telling Ty, man, when it, and I, was, I wasn't using a rope at the time, but I was like, man, because I'm, I'm coiling up and I just have a problem going to the dally after that. He goes, look at your hand. You would have to let go of the rope, turn your hand over. And I promise you, when you have a 600-pound critter on the other end of your rope and you've got 60 foot of rope in this hand and a set of reins and you've got 300 critters around you, stuff happens really, really fast. And that second of looking down to reposition my hand was what was causing me all of my problems. So now, I don't do it like that anymore. I do it like this. And then I'm in perfect position to go to the horn. What did the sheep do to repent to cause rejoicing in heaven? Oh, surely the sheep just quit doing all of this stuff and he sat down and he begged Jesus for forgiveness? No, he just allowed himself to be taken home. What did the coin do to repent? Nothing. Now, you've always been taught that repentance is your job. But I'm telling you that there is a new definition of repentance according to God's Word. To allow Jesus to take you back into his presence. Because isn't all three of those parables about coming home to Jesus? He says, I'll go get the lost sheep. I'll put it on my shoulders. I'll come back and I'll be glad. I'll sweep it. I'll move everything out. I'll light lamps to find that lost coin. And I will be watching for my dead son and rejoicing when he comes back and I will give him everything. So three parables of repentance. You know what? We must use the Bible to... If we want to know what something means, it lines up all the way across Scripture. And here's my point. If repentance actually only meant to sit, to have godly sorrow and to seek change in behavior, then that's what we would have to do to be saved, is to change our behavior. Does that line up with John 3.16 that Jesus says, For God so loved... Jesus is saying this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Me shall not perish but have everlasting life. Do those two things line up? Not with the classic definition, but if you think of repentance as coming home to Jesus... Doesn't that make sense? When Jesus says, unless you repent, you too will perish. It makes perfect sense. Unless you come home and abide in me, you will perish. That lines up with Jesus when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through the Son. It makes sense. How about this? Can you actually change what you're doing without God? No. See, I'm not really trying to change the definition of repentance. I'm just saying that the classic definition of repentance that we've been taught is actually the result of repentance, not the cause of it. You come home to God and 
You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. There's another passage where Jesus is teaching and the disciples say, Man, teacher, this is hard teaching. Who can do this? And he said, With man it is impossible, but with God nothing is impossible. You cannot do anything until you come home. Now the result of that is repentance. Think about this. So this son squandered his wealth on wild living and he comes home. And he's at his dad's. He is so thankful to be there and everything like that. But you look, you know, he comes walking into the kitchen. And I do not mean to be crude. We are real life here and we talk about real life issues. But you cannot tell me that that son didn't actually walk into the kitchen one day and a cute little serving maid was taking some bread out of the oven. And he didn't go, oh, (laughs) I bet, you know, that was the old me. No, he still repented. He came home. His behavior has changed. Just because you have a thought and everything doesn't mean you act on it. We will always have those types of thoughts and everything like that. But suddenly he doesn't. He didn't lose his salvation right then. He has already repented. How do I know? Because it says in verse 7 of the lost sheep, he said, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Show me nothing. 99 people that are free from sin in the classic definition. Show me 99 people who do not need to repent in the classic definition. But if you look as repentance as coming home, then it makes sense. If, if we just change that right there, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who has come home than over 99 people that are already there. You see what I'm getting at? No longer... Do you have to live with guilt, worry, fear, and apprehension? Because I guarantee you, I have been in some of those churches that they will pound the pulpit and tell you that you're going to hell if you don't repent of each and every sin. And now we're walking around in fear going, Oh my gosh, I hope I repented of every sin because if I didn't, then I'm going to go to hell. No, you're not. No, you're not. God's Word says, I will remember their sins no more. If you have come home, you are in there. And it doesn't matter in the lost sheep. That lost sheep wasn't trying to be bad. It was just a stupid sheep. Isn't it funny how God calls us sheep? (laughs) Ty wants to be a heifer. (laughs) The sheep just wandered away. How many of us have done that? We didn't like say, God, we hate you, and we ran off. But, I mean, come on. We all had those college days, those younger days, where we just kind of, you know, we just kind of wandered off. But Jesus went out and found us, and he brought us home. And some people, they were never even raised in church. They never knew who Christ was, but Christ is still searching for them, calling for them like the lost coin. And even those of us who were like the prodigal son that said, you know what, sayonara, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I want to go live my life, sow my wild oats, whatever, whatever, whatever. And if you are one of those and you have hit rock bottom, guess what it's time to do? It's time to come home. Because the definition of repentance, the old definition of being sorry for your sins and changing your behavior, that cannot change until you come home. You will not change. Come home, and I guarantee you the result of that coming home, I have seen people that have been freed from addictions. I was talking to a buddy of mine just day before yesterday, and he said, man, I knew this guy that was an alcoholic. He finally, he some, some pretty amazing stuff happened to him. He rededicated his life to God. He came home, and he hasn't picked up a drop of alcohol since then. 
Did he do that by his power? No, he had tried to quit before and never could quit. But he came home to God, and in that instance, he was miraculously freed from his addiction. You can be freed from your addictions. You can be freed from all those negative thoughts because you know what? What a lot of people do is they don't, they might think they've come home, but what they do is they get right up to the fence and they never go through that narrow gate. They stand there and they want to be a fence strider. They want to have, well, you know, they just want to put one foot in and call themselves a Christian so that they can still live in the world and, and, and have fun, but still call themselves a Christian and it don't work like that. You either all in or you're not in at all. You can't change your behavior. And you know what? I'm tired of the Bible being interpreted as a works. We can do nothing except rely on Jesus Christ to make the change in us and allow Him to take us home. Too many people are standing outside trying, worrying and fretting about this because they can't get over it and blah, 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 blah. Man, just go in. He welcomes everybody in. Think about it. What did that, what did that thief on the cross do to repent? He stepped in. He knew he was fixing to die, and he truly believed. And that sinner that was on the cross, was he baptized? No, not, not by immersion. He might have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He said, surely this day you will be with me in paradise. I said I was going to try to change the definition of repentance. I'm not trying to change the definition of repentance. I'm trying to change the way you think about it. You must repent. If you, or else you will perish. And by repent, that means come back to God. And as a result of coming back to God, you will be freed from that apprehension, worry, fear, guilt. You don't have to be worried if you've come home. That's repentance. It's coming back to God and giving your life to Him. Not standing outside the gate. Allow Him to pick you up on His shoulders and take you home. Allow Him to move that furniture that's over the top of you and pick you up and take you home. Allow Him to run out and meet you and throw a cloak over you, put a ring on your finger and sandals on your feet and butcher that calf and have a barbecue. That's what we need to do, folks. If you understand what I'm saying, this will change your life. How many times have we sat there and felt all of that pain? Worried about our sin and worried how God sees us. God loves you with all of His heart, all of His soul, and all of His mind. You are one of His kiddos. When you allow Jesus to bring you back on His shoulders, you have repented and you will be transformed by His love and your gratitude, not by your works alone. Let me read that one more time. When you have repented, you will be... By repented, I mean once you come home where you're supposed to be, where Jesus wants you. If you abide in me, I will abide in you. When you come back into the sheepfold, when you come back, you will be transformed by His love and 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 your gratitude for that love, not by your works. We are saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. But you'll hear a lot of people, oh yeah, I quit this and I quit that. And I, no, you didn't. You think you did, unless you come home. Now, if they say Jesus did this and Jesus did that and Jesus did this, yeah, you betcha, amen. It's time to be transformed. It is time for you to truly come home. Some of you may be wandering out there in the pasture like the lost sheep. Some of you may be like that prodigal son. And you know what? If you are one of the 99, if you have repented and you have come home, then you start praying for those that aren't. Because we are righteous. Not by what we do, because that's what Jesus said, over 99 righteous persons, we are not righteous by what we do. We are righteous because of the blood of Christ. That's what gives us right standing with God. Not because we have done anything. Don't look down. 
Because that devil will whisper in your ear, man, you're sorry, you're not a good Christian, and you'll start looking down, feeling bad. And I tell you what, the devil will also put thoughts in your mind, and he'll use the first person. He'll say, he'll put a thought in your mind that says, I'm no good and Jesus doesn't love me. And you'll think it's your own thought. It's not. We must depend on the Word of God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through the Son. Come home. Be freed. You want your life transformed? Do you want your life converted? Do you want your life changed? All you've got to do is repent. And by repent, I mean come home and then allow Jesus' love to transform your life. What do you tell yourself when you feel condemned, worried, fearful, anxious, apprehensive, or guilty? What do you say? Three words. And this is the first time I've ever done this, but I want it to sink in. I want you to say, don't look down. Ready? What do you do when you are feeling condemned, worried, fearful, anxious, apprehensive, or guilty? What do you do? Don't look down. Look up. That's the only way, is to abide in Christ. You can do it. You can be transformed. This is good news. This is great news. This has changed my life. Will you let it change yours? Hi, this is Lovey Weatherby. I call myself the worst preacher's wife ever, but Kevin calls me his better half. Confused yet? Well, you shouldn't be. All you need to do is go to savethecowboy.com and you can find links to our live church broadcast each Sunday morning. Or you can go back and listen to this service or any others that you miss. Did you know my man is the author of four books? You can find them all, as well as sermons on CD, by clicking on the store link at savethecowboy.com. On behalf of Kevin and Save the Cowboy, thanks for listening. Hey, do you have horses? If you do, then you need to call my friends Rod and Brenda Denning at Hitch and Post Hay. This is where I get all of my hay and Fiona loves it. Call them at 303-324-8217 and tell them that you heard about them from Save the Cowboy and they'll donate 5% of the sale to our mission to reach cowboys and cowgirls. Give Hitch and Post Hay a call for premium quality horse hay at 303-324-8217.